It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Gene Sinsdak is the associate director of the nonpartisan Center for American Women in Politics, the Eagleton Institute for Politics at Rutgers University. Gene, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. And, and I, I want to talk to you about some reports that your center has, has put out uh, recently. One shows that New Jersey's become a bit sluggish when it comes to women winning public office. Why is that? Well, um, you know, I mean, I think it's been a challenge. We've uh, we've seen some progress in the last several years, but we still have a long way to go. Um, we just released our annual county report card, which basically ranks the counties by women's representation at the county and local levels. And our newest report, which we just put out this past month, highlights that we've made pretty minimal progress over the past year for women's representation in those offices. Um, for example, um, since 2020, the last time we compiled this data, women gained just 15 seats in, um, you know, on city councils. So, um, you know, that's a pretty glacial pace. And so even assuming there's no stagnation at all, we'd be lucky to have parity and representation for the next several decades. Um, so we've been watching this for a long time. And, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, why women aren't running or why we, we don't have, you know, we don't have parity quite yet is that, um, you know, at the power of incumbency is real. Um, you know, the, the vast majority of our, our elected offices in Jersey are, are still held by men. And it's hard to, you know, and many of them have been in office for a really long time. So it's really hard to break through. Um, and, you know, the other piece, the other major reason we know women aren't running at the same rates as men are is that uh, they're not being asked to run. They're not being recruited. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of work to do on that front. In New Jersey, from what I read in your report, bottom half in the country in terms of the total women serving in the legislature, total women serving in local office. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, well, we're right in the middle of the pack. You know, we're not we're not the best and we're certainly not the worst. <laughs> um, but uh, we have a long way to go. I will say there was one at one point we were in the top 10 for women serving in our state legislature. And um, we've fallen, you know, down to. Um, you know, the mid-20s. And, and the reason for that is not that New Jersey's gone worse. We've, you know, pretty much either stayed the same or slightly improved. But other states have surpassed us in terms of um, women's representation. So we need to do more to catch up, so to speak, and move the needle forward a, a bit faster. It seems like New Jersey was was got off to a great early start. It was a, at the, New Jersey was at the forefront on, on suffrage and uh, 1920, first year women had the right to vote. Two women got mm-hmm. elected to the legislature. A woman went to Congress from New Jersey in, in 1924. I, I, I hope I have my years right, but 1930, uh, they, Democrats nominated a 32-year-old woman to run for the U.S. Senate. I think she was one of the first women to run statewide anywhere in the country. So it mm-hmm. it, it seems like New Jersey's New Jersey started out really well, and then it, it slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and again, this speaks to the idea that other states have caught up or surpassed us. A big problem here in New Jersey is the county party control or, part, you know, the, the, the tightly controlled party structure in our state makes it really hard for newcomers um, to break in. And, um, you know, it's just not a very open, fluid system. The party chairs wield a lot of power. 
And, um, you know, and they have a lot of say in who gets the line, for example, um, you know, and, and so that makes a big difference. In other states, that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, there's two issues here. One is kind of maybe lessening party control over the pro- electoral process, but the other piece of it is building party leadership up so they're more, you know, more diverse in representation. So there are women and, you know, other other newcomers and more diverse pool of people running those party organizations. I think that would go a long way to, to making a big difference in terms of the types of candidates that are recruited. But the bottom line is because of our, you know, party system here in New Jersey, the parties themselves really need to make it a central strategy to recruit a more diverse pool of candidates. And so I would urge voters to look to their parties in terms of making recommendations for candidates and putting the pressure on their party leaders to be more supportive of, uh, you know, newcomers and other people into the into the political process. And I'm, I am speaking with Jean Sinsdak, the associate director of the Center for American Women uh, and Politics at Rutgers. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I look back on, I mean, I I was I ran for public office when I was in my early twenties. This was nearly forty years ago. There were there were a bunch of us that won, and we were you know twenty something elected officials. But there were no women in that group, and I I sort of wonder whether there's a shortage of young women. Whether I, th- I think men may begin to run for office at an earlier age, and and maybe maybe that puts men in a better position to move up the ladder because they start earlier. Is that I mean is that is that accurate? Well, I definitely, you know, I definitely think you're right. Um, If you start younger, we do know from the research that historically women have waited longer to start their political careers. Um, And a lot of that has to do with, you know, things like family responsibilities. And, um, you know, women are still overwhelming majority of caretakers, for example. So a lot of women waited till their children were grown if they had kids um, or waited till they were more firmly established in their careers. And we know it takes women longer to do that. Um, so, um, so that makes a big difference, right? The trajectory can look very different. Um, but what we've seen in recent years is that, you know, that historic trend is not necessarily true. Women are running at younger ages. And I think you're absolutely right. That will make a big difference. Um, women are also, last couple of election cycles, one trend we've noticed is that women are more likely to be self-starters than they have been in the past. So we know that they're not. Um, you know, likely to be recruited, so being a self-starter. But we also know in the past they were less likely to be self-starters. But if that trend is turning around and they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to wait for someone to ask me. I'm not going to wait for the, you know, party leaders or other elected officials to, you know, tap me on the shoulder and say it's your turn. I'm just going to take it. Um, That sort of thing. And I think we're seeing that, you know, both in in women of all ages, but I think in the younger generation. And I think that's going to have an impact, hopefully, um, in the years to come, that it will open up the process more, and we'll see more and more women running for office. One of the, one of the things in your report that really struck me is that women are only eighteen percent of the mayor occupy just eighteen percent of the mayor's positions in mm-hmm. the state, and that that's uh, that that seems to be completely out of whack. Even even with the legislature, even with county commissioners, it's it's a really small number. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. So that's one thing that always strikes us every time we do this report is that we've seen, you know, again, too incremental for our case, but we've seen more progress at, say, you know, the county commission level, state legislative level, um, city council seat level. But the mayors, it's a really stubborn number. It doesn't, you know, um, we have the report on our website. People can see the chart, but the mayor, the bar chart, you know, the line graph that shows 
um, the trend in terms of, uh, you know, mayor seats and women in mayor seats is just, it's almost flat. It's really fascinating. You know, it's been around, hovered around 15%. We're up to 18% now, but it's super slow going. One of the things that I've noticed is is in the urban areas, the, the you know, communities of color, the biggest cities, so Newark, Jersey City, Patterson, Elizabeth, they've never elected a woman mayor. Is mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I see a difference between small towns. So even the eighteen percent, it's a it seems to me it's a misleading number because the biggest cities are electing only men and, and have only elected men. Yeah, you know, and it's hard for me because we don't collect the data. We don't, you know, parse it out by population levels. Um, so I can't quite get deep into the nuance here. But, you know, absolutely right that um, that it's, you know, especially big cities, we know that um, women are still really underrepresented and um, we need more women to run. Um, there's 76 cities with populations over 30,000 in New Jersey and only seven of them have women mayors and um of those seven two are black women and one is asian pacific islander so um you know certainly it's women are women mayors are even more underrepresented in the really big cities in our state and then women of color even more so we know that across the board that women of color are underrepresented in you know political office overall so we have a lot of work to do on that front as well and I am, I am speaking with Gene Sinsdak of Rutgers University. One of the other things that, that I is, is just glaring is is some of the positions that, that a glass ceiling has never been broken. So, so of course, New, Jersey's had, New Jersey had a woman governor for eight years, but never a U.S. senator. I think 33 states have elected a woman to the Senate. New Jersey never has it. Senate president, I mean, hugely, hugely influential position, exponentially more than the other 39. Uh, a woman has never occupied that post uh and you've got you've got loretta weinberg the majority leader she's retiring this year what what do women need to do in order to once they're in office to move up within these these internal leadership structures Mm -hmm. well part of the challenge is that um you know you know it takes a while to get into leadership right and um, you know, there's there's a seniority aspect to it, and there's, you know, the opportunity to build coalitions and sort of assemble power, and um, and that really comes from having the opportunity. You don't absolutely need to be in office for a long time necessarily to get to a leadership position, but it certainly helps. Um, and so, again, it goes back to this issue of incumbency. Um, we know overall, not just in New Jersey, but across the country, in legislatures, you know, there's far too few women in leadership. That's a really huge challenge. And a big part of that has to do with, again, you know, seniority and length of service and having the opportunity to, to move up the ladder, so to speak. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, but I'm you know, glad you're raising it. It's something that people really need to be aware of and to be thoughtful of. And what about, what about typecasting of, of women in in certain positions, you know, in New Jersey, only women have served as lieutenant governor, but but mm-hmm. men men get to be governor, women get to be lieutenant governor, men get to be Senate president, women are majority leader. I noticed I noticed there's there's more women than men as county clerks, but men, you know, there's just one woman sheriff and there's there's only men serving as county executive. Do you do you worry about about women being pigeonholed into certain positions but not all jobs? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a, an ongoing challenge, you know, the pigeonholing. Um, 
you know, and it's not to say that these uh, these positions, like majority leaders, very important position. These other lieutenant governors, an important position. But um, you know, to your point, it's not just a New Jersey specific problem um, that women are relegated to these roles where they're not given you know the top position. Often, right? They're nudged aside or just not given the opportunity. So, um, you know, a big part of that is that we just need to get more and more women in office and to keep a spotlight on the issue and um, and do what we can. And again, it goes back to changing the leadership all the way along, you know, the ele- what our elected bodies look like, what our party organizations look like, um, you know, c- continuing to stay on top of it and helping more women get to those leadership roles and, and to normalize it, right? Um, we've only had one woman governor a lot of, you know, kids in school today, when they learn about the governor, they're still, you know, learning about a man. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're growing up without seeing it. Um, you know, the, there was a certain era, obviously, when Christy Whitman was governor, that I think it was a good, it was great for girls and boys to see that women can and should be governor. But, you know, one is not enough, right? We need to get more women in that role so that it becomes a much more uh, sort of a normalized thing that, the expectations of who our elected leaders are, what they should look like, changes across the board. Okay. Well, Jean Sinstack of, of Rutgers University Center for American Women in Politics, and you do great work there. So thank you for coming on and talking to me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.